Welcome to the latest issue of the Argus Inside Fertilizer Analytics podcast. This is where I get uh, some of our market experts to join me to discuss the future of the markets they cover. And uh, this gives me the opportunity to interrogate them on the work they've been doing and some of the key assumptions behind the forecasts they're putting together. My name is Tim Chain. I'm VP Business Development for the Vehicle Emissions, Airblue and DEF team here at Argus. And today I'm joined by Will Talbot and Fabrizio Cardoso. Uh, Will Talbot is an analyst in our consulting team who covers areas to do with technical grade urea and also issues that connect like electric vehicle forecasts um, and some of the other applications of urea that are not fertilizers. And then Fabrizio is a manager in our consulting team. Uh, he's the, the lead editor of the technical grade urea analytics report, um, and he is also joining me on the, on the call today. Good to have you both on and a really opportune moment to be talking about the, the future of, of the technical grade urea markets. And so how are you both doing today? Hi, Tim. Uh, thanks for the introduction. Good to, good to be in this podcast. Hi, Tim. Yeah, glad as well to be here. Thanks for inviting us. Great. Well, first of all, I think we need to, to, to discuss the report itself because uh, this is a fertilizer analytics podcast, but technical grade urea is not uh, clearly a fertilizer. So let's start by talking about the coverage of the report. It's, it's unique, certainly. We know that the coverage of this report, the, the scope is not covered by anyone else. And so the, the information is really interesting and valuable. Uh, but talk me through what exactly is covered. Of course, we won't be covering in the report UAN and urea fertilizers. But what, what exactly uh, is the scope of the report? Which segments do we cover? Uh, Fabrizio, maybe you can take us through the three exactly what uh, we look at when we analyze this TGU market. Yeah, I can take this one, Tim. Thanks. The main segments we, we are looking in the report are industrial segments, but particularly resins, melamine. We also look at feed-grade urea, so uh, urea used in animal feed for cattle. And then there's another big category of segments related to NOx emissions abatements, and that covers automotive, marine, stationary applications. And then to complete the segments, we also look at other smaller segments that are much less common and known of using urea, uh, like poor chemicals, cyanuric acid, uh, foaming agent, uh, bioethanol, uh, just to mention, uh, pharmaceuticals, uh, another market we, another uh, segment we look at. And you asked why we treat these separately from fertilizers. I think the simple answer is that the drivers for demand in these segments are very different from agriculture. And uh, it's not just a supply and demand uh, assessment based on uh, demand. It's um, uh, some of these uh, markets are still growing, particularly NOx abatement in the automotive segment. It is still growing and there's always a recurring question we get from subscribers, how these markets could impact urea availability for fertilizers. Just running through those segments, uh, I can certainly say that the NOx abatement side, so the ABLU DF is something We've been covering for for many, many years, uh, going back to integer research days. And the other segments you described are, are segments that we've been adding more recently. And I know you've been very interested to talk to 
some new contacts and develop not our knowledge and, and data to do with some of those uh, segments that have been added to our TGU coverage more recently. But here's a question in terms of the size of the market. How much how much urea is consumed in these segments outside of fertilizers, and which of these segments is the most important in terms of volume? Relate the scale to, to the overall fertilizer consumption. If I can share a couple of numbers we have in, in the report, our estimate was around 26 million tons in 2019, uh, and it was growing year on year, but then it dropped in to tw- about 24 million tons in 2020, and that was primarily due to COVID-19 impacting uh, all the segments in different in different ways. Yeah, and in terms of the uh, the largest segment, uh, resins is uh, is by far the biggest. Uh, probably about 10 or 11 million tons uh, of urea equivalent uh, in 2020. Uh, these are things like urea formaldehyde, melamine urea formaldehyde, um, mostly used in the wood board industry, and about 80%-ish of that demand is coming from uh, Chinese production. Thanks, Will. Uh, given given the, the the nature of resin demand being so linked to, I guess, construction activity um, and general economic activity and uh, the connection to the production in China. Uh, how was the global resin demand impacted by the COVID pandemic? And uh, I'm sure it was. So to, to what extent do you think it will start bouncing back um, in 2021 as the pandemic eases? Yeah, as you say, um, uh, resin demand is very strongly linked to uh, construction uh, around the world. And so as construction uh, declined and in some cases halted um, during the various lockdown periods, um, we saw a, a decline in global demand for those resins, uh, something like uh, 14, 15 percent uh, down on the year compared with 2019 levels. As I said, production of those resins is mostly concentrated in China, but that's not just for domestic demand. That's also uh, linked to global demand. So even though China had a fairly swift economic recovery, the recovery in resins demand was a bit slower than that, owing to that reduced global figure. The other impact, of course, of the virus is is the longer term economic impact and, and the effect that, that will have on resins demand over the next few years uh, is probably such that it is uh, less than what we had previously anticipated before 2020. Um, I think this year we are forecasting a total demand slightly lower than what it was in 2019. But then uh, I think we're looking at maybe two or three percent growth year on year over the next decade or so. So uh, fairly steady growth. I'm always surprised at how resilient the global economy is. You know, I know uh, 14% decline is, is a big is a big hit on consumption, but it's still not as severe as you may have expected at the time uh, last year when the world was in lockdown and it felt like uh, in some ways the world was coming to an end. But Fabrizio, how about the automotive segment? How, how badly was uh, the demand for Airblue, DEF, ALA around the world affected by the lockdown and by the, the reduced transportation activity? Sure, Tim. Uh, as you can imagine, it did have an impact because uh, as as you have freight restrictions, you drive less, uh, your truck, your car, and then you're going to consume less fuel and less AdBlue as well. AdBlue is the solution of urea used in automotive to reduce emissions. It's an interesting segment because demand had been growing 10-15% year on year on a global basis. Uh, different markets develop at different paces. 
But last year, growth was around 3% only. And in Europe, India, there was some decline compared to 2019. But as I said, it's a fast-growing market because new trucks that need to consume urea in NetBlue or DF, they are typically going to replace an old truck that did not require. We see another uh, 10-15% growth for 2021. Uh, even if uh, there are still quite a lot of restrictions in place in a range of countries. But the, the impact was a direct consequence of freight activity and longer term truck sales that declined in 2020 across mo- uh, most markets are not going to be uh, compensated by higher sales in 2021. Sales are still lagging behind. Incredible that even during the, the, the lockdown year, the coronavirus year, we still saw global growth uh, in consumption of our blue def, um, which is remarkable. I know from uh, questions we've had from um, subscribers and from discussions with key people in the markets that a lot of people are really trying to quantify the extent of the reduction in consumption in some markets, like you mentioned, Europe, um, uh, during the lockdown year, and especially during the, the months with the, the lowest freight activity. Talk us through some of the things you were doing during the course of last year and are doing now to quantify that impact on consumption. You know, what data do you look to? What are the key in- indices you track to keep a real close eye on what's going on with with uh, Outlook DEF consumption over time, so you can update our view and our forecast? Well, you're probably touching our main headache during most of 2020, Tim. <laughs> we we had to, to reinvent what we were doing and figure out different ways of estimating how much each truck or car would not be running as we would expect. We looked at a range of different available data that we we could use as as a proxy for uh, freight activity. Like there was Google activity inside uh, movement, different data on people and freight movement, uh, the traffic closures at highways, tolls, information around uh, key um, highways. But ultimately, we figured out that the best proxy was diesel consumption. Uh, and that's mainly because for any given truck, the ratio between at blue DF consumption and diesel consumption stays the same uh, throughout it's uh, used for life. But then in most countries, there's a lag of two or three months uh, to get the actual data. There was a mix of assumptions around uh, how lockdowns were getting more or less strict in each uh, country. And those were all part of the calculations. Yeah, I can imagine you had a, a new headache last year to try and quantify these things. I'm glad we found a way of um, of, of getting our heads around uh, good techniques to, to update uh, our assumptions. Um, just tell me, why did demand in Europe drop um, more severely than other regions, for example, North America? What, what was the driver of the, the weakness in Europe, which was notable? Yes, uh, before answering that directly, uh, one thing I forgot to mention uh, in our assumptions and how we found ways to quantify the impact on demand, a key element was our regular uh, interaction with the mar- with market players. Ultimately, it's, uh, we 
could validate what was happening in a given market by speaking to to producers, distributors, and understand how much product they were effectively putting out and selling. And that's uh, that was an important feedback we had in our provisional numbers, and it allowed us to go back and adjust to to match reality. But if we compare Europe and North America, the impact of coronavirus on European at blue demand was harder in, in, in Europe because, well, when the first wave of lockdown restrictions cut movement quite harshly in Europe during the second quarter of last year, and not only movement of people, but also freight, the restrictions were much tougher than in North America during most of the year. And the second point that I'd like to raise is that in Europe, the share of diesel cars is still around 30-35% dropping now, but there are many more diesel cars consuming at Blue in Europe. And these have been taken off the road for a much longer period last year and beginning of this year due to COVID. Yes, this is a very topical issue, not just in the short term uh, during the, the COVID period, but in the longer term, the, the changing uh, makeup of vehicle sales uh, and the increasing share of electric vehicles is something that's all over the news. And in fact, this week, we just saw news that Audi's ended development of new internal combustion engines. Um, and there are regular announcements from manufacturers to do with changes in their powertrain plans towards electrification. So, Will, can I ask you, what do you think is the trend here? Do you, do you think this is going to have a dramatic impact on, particularly on Airblue and DEF consumption? So uh, what's going to be the impact on the TGU markets in particular? Well, yeah, as you say, um, pretty much anywhere you look in the news, um, you will see stories about how diesel is dead or how uh, EV sales are skyrocketing, um, mostly in the European context. But it's also happening in, in China as well. You know, diesel is really being squeezed on, on two fronts in Europe on a passenger car uh, perspective. Uh, one is uh, consumers generally moving away from diesel and towards gasoline. Uh, and that's a fairly well-established trend we've seen really since the since the diesel gate scandal. And the, the second pressure is uh, movement away from ice entirely towards uh, electric powertrains. And that's something that we've seen uh, growing really quite dramatically last year. Um, I think uh, in the last sort of quarter of 2020, the, the proportion of new car sales in Europe that were electric powertrain, either pure battery or plug-in hybrid, was uh, about 12%. And we forecast that's probably going to rise to about 15% this year, which doesn't sound like much. But when you consider that it was maybe 1% a few years ago, I think that really shows the, uh, the drive that we're going to see uh, towards these new powertrains. And, you know, as you say, that's not just coming from uh, consumers or just coming from regulators anymore. That's really coming from within the industry. Uh, like you say, Audi has said it's not going to develop any new uh, ice power trains. Uh, Volkswagen uh, announced uh, this week in its Power Day uh, seminar a real focus on electric vehicles and how it wants to effectively have an electric vehicle for any customer type from, from entry level to mass market to really high end. So, uh, you know, th this transition towards uh, electric powertrains uh, is really well and underway. And uh, it, I think it is safe to say that diesel sales are going to continue to decline in Europe um, quite significantly. Uh, but the thing you have to remember as well is that our blue consumption is not 
correlated directly to sales. It's correlated to uh, the fleet. And the European diesel car fleet is still very large and still very strong. And the size of that fleet will allow a, a kind of buffer from this uh, reduction in sales. So, you know, we really think that we won't see peak uh, blue demand from uh, light vehicles in Europe until, you know, maybe mid to late 2020s. Um, of course, it's a very different matter or a different story for the uh, heavy duty side. Yeah, and and I can comment on that. Uh, well, the for heavy duties, it's a completely different story. The diesel is still the main powertrain uh, across all major markets, and the the uptake of alternative powertrain is has been very slow. There was data this week that 0.5 percent of new trucks in Europe are not diesel. So we're talking about a market that is still overwhelmingly uh, relying on diesel. This said, there is legislation uh, in place and upcoming that are going to drive some electrification in the commercial vehicle segment. And truck manufacturers are being incentive to start from this year to bring uh, alternative powertrain uh, to the market. It's still a much longer uh, phasing period, and we would see diesel remaining the, as a main powertrain for quite a few more years. Let's say after 2025, when Euro 7 in, in Europe is likely to, to be enforced, it's not a legislation that would ban the use of diesel, but lower NOx limits will at least increase the cost of after treatment technologies in diesel trucks, and that's going to make diesel trucks less competitive. But then competitive against what? I think there's still a big question mark. There will be some electrification, and, but we look at hydrogen as well as an option, but we don't think that would come uh, mainstream until end of this decade or even early 2030s. Excellent. So it really is a matter of thinking through the, the structure of the fleet and the structure of powertrain in the different segments to, to really understand um, how consumption of AirBlue will, will trend over time. Um, we've reached the end of the time we have available today. Uh, we haven't even got to some of the other segments that we could talk about, like marine and stationary NOx abatements. And also, I think uh, we should probably at some point in the next podcast talk about future regulation. You've pointed to Euro 7 and the new, potentially new regulations, which we expect to come in the U.S. with a new uh, Biden administration. But um, let's wrap it up for now. And, um, and thanks very much to Will and to Fabrizio for joining for joining me today to, to share those insights. Um, and especially to you for listening. Thank you for listening to the uh, TGU Analytics podcast today. If you are a subscriber to the product, uh, to the service, please remember to log into August Direct, where you can download the latest report published by Fabrizio and Will, which was published at the end of last month. This has got um, detailed information on the forecasts they've described, plus the data in Excel. If you aren't a subscriber, of course, more information is available on August Direct, where you can uh, you can find um, information on the scope and how to subscribe. I would also urge you to, uh, if, if you're interested in the issues to do with um, these uh, the, the ABLU and DEF side of things, to look up uh, uh, the conference we're running 
virtually in the middle of June called Vehicle Emissions Live. That's going to give an update globally on the situation related to emissions regulation, uh, OEM strategy, and the ABLU DEF ALA business. That's the middle of June, um, and it, you'll be able to join that from your desk um, in different time zones. So it'll be a great way of catching up with, with uh, information and even seeing some of the familiar faces uh, that you are used to seeing speak at our conferences. Um, that's a useful way of, of, of just getting an update beyond um, what you've heard today. So thanks for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate your time. Please do like or subscribe to the podcast if you'd like to keep uh, touch with the next issue, and we'll see you next time.